The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of Cleveland State University, and my participation in this podcast is separate from my roles there as associate lecturer and director of the school psychology program. Further, this podcast is for educational use only and should not be considered professional advice. Welcome back, listeners, to the Hands Full Parenting Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, this is episode number six, and I am here once again with my co-host, Uruguayan Father of the Year, Axel Balsa Danzi. Axel, how are you? Oh, I'm very well. How is the American Dad of the Year doing? <laughs> well, basking in my hour of freedom this morning, thank you very much. It's a beautiful summer day here after a, a long rain last night that we desperately needed. So Axel, um, I want to ask you something uh, in in our podcast segment that I'd like to call "What's Up with That," which you know, in each week at the start of our podcast, we talk about something that I think is um, interesting, intriguing about Argentina um, or Uruguay. Uh, and the one thing I want to talk about Argentina is is inflation. Now, in the U.S., we're going crazy because gas is like five dollars a gallon, and we're worried about it being more than $5 a gallon. Uh, we're worried about uh, the increase of, of food prices. Things cost so much more. You've heard about it. But in Argentina, I've heard you've had much more inflation than the United States has. And in the past, you've had something called hyperinflation. Uh, and I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, where during hyperinflation, a friend told me that there were people who were like, uh, who, would, who would price items in a grocery store and they would walk down the aisle of the grocery store pricing items. And as soon as they got to the end of the yogurt aisle or whatever, they'd start again and rechange the prices because inflation was occurring that rapidly that they had to increase the prices of everything in the store. So, I mean, you just had these price uh, markers going around all day with their little guns, remarking prices to keep up with the price of inflation. Is, is that true or is that urban myth? No, it's absolutely true. It was very sad. I was very young when that happened, but I still remember the, 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 how hard the situation was because of what my parents lived through and everybody was talking about that. It went crazy. Right now in Argentina, we are having, uh, well, I say we, but right now I'm in Uruguay. Uruguay is having maybe the, the 10% annual inflation that the US is so scared about. This has happened before, but this is a country that has not seen much much of a higher inflation than that. But in Argentina right now, they are having probably around 60% annual inflation. Wow. And as an average, which means many perks even go higher than that. But that's only half of the problem because the other problem is the value of the dollar. The mm -hmm. value of the dollar is, is going much faster than that. I mean, the, the, the way the peso loses its value against the dollar is, is so fast that you know, I had some money in the bank. This is real. I have what was 200,000 pesos 15 days ago, and that was around $1,000. 200,000 $200, was one, uh, sorry, 200,000 pesos was $1,000 a month ago. Now, the, the parity of the peso lost uh, around, it's valued around 300 pesos, $1. So now I'm down just in 15 days <laughs> and down uh, to 
That's right? so, wild. Yeah. So because I didn't, I couldn't actually, because I was not in Argentina, there were some problems with the bank. I couldn't go fast enough and change my money into dollars. Now that money is worth 30% less. And that actually happened overnight. The economy minister quit and then he the the, the 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 price of the dollar just went up because that's where people go to take refuge here sure so this is sort of what's happening with the dollar and the euro now that now they are valued the same and then the dollar has the euro has lost a little bit of its value against the dollar well this is absolutely crazy but when when i was a child this this in, inflation rate was so high that you had uh, around maybe 60 or 70% inflation per month. Whoa. So when, when my dad would go out of, of collecting his salary that very day, he had to go to the supermarket and buy as much food as he could. And people went and buy if they were building their houses, bricks or whatever they, they had to buy because the following week, their salary would not be enough to buy us the same amount of good. Actually, it would not be enough to, uh, to support the family. Now, but the following month, the, the company had already decided to give a raise because all the prices of the company, or my dad was a teacher, so probably the, 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 in a private school, so they would, the parents the following month would pay double quota, right? Wow. <laughs> Imagine this month you pay one thousand. Next month you pay two thousand. This oh, month so your salary is ten thousand dollars. Next month your salary is twenty thousand dollars. But you're still buying the same thing or less. So the schools could just raise their tuition. You know, by month they're like, all right, because of inflation, we're raising tuition sixty yeah. percent. And everybody goes crazy, and everybody raises prices, and of course everything that is sold is sold in that. So there's no reference price. So most of the economy just goes into other currencies like dollars. But not all of it can be done like that because people people's salaries are in pesos. Yeah, but let me ask. So like your salary, does it change that quickly to keep up with inflation? I mean, how do you live? No, usually not. So most people are, are, are behind. Well, actually that ended terribly. I mean, people started just looting supermarkets because, uh, I mean, hunger <laughs> prevailed. Sure. Yes, it was very, very dramatic. I, the, and then the, that, that was in 1989. And then that, that uh, year, a guy came in and said, the president of the moment said, we, we, we can't have an independent currency because we mess it up so bad. So yeah. we're just going to have a currency that is pegged to the dollar. So one peso will equal one dollar. Was that Menem? That was Menem, yes, yes. Okay. And that gave us uh, some years where there was no inflation. And, but well, that brought a whole other problems because, uh, of course, at the beginning, this is very typical of Argentinian politics. At the beginning, they said, okay, we're going to keep one dollar for every peso we print. But then, you know, they just kind of let it go and start printing, oops, a little bit more pesos than they had dollars <laughs> in the bank. And then one day someone realized and then everybody went to the bank to, to cash first because they, they knew they, they weren't, <laughs> there weren't enough dollars. And so there was a big bank run. And now, then the government said, okay, everybody who has savings in private banks, we're going to keep them. <laughs> and so my parents just lost all their savings. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I guess like if you're in Argentina, you probably are skeptical about saving money at all. You're like, why, why should I even bother? Because I'm just, there's just going to be crazy inflation. If I have money now, I should just buy something because yes. it'll be more worth more than money in a bank. 
Yes, or buy a house or buy a cow or a house or buy cattle or buy whatever you think. It's not going to lose value and it's real and concrete. Sure. So yes, well, since those of us who have lived through that several times, because this didn't happen once, the hyperinflation once, but then this cycle of inflation and peasant evolution have lived it many times, like myself, I'm 42, I've seen it three, four times in my life. And uh, so when we see Americans crying about the 10% <laughs> annual inflation, it's like, what? Yeah. Everything's going to be just fine when life goes on. 10% inflation, well, you're doing awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that, is, that is great perspective. You. I think that is fantastic perspective. I know a lot of people are going through a hard time here, but you know, I guess the moral of the story is you live. You know, you got this crazy inflation and you live. You know, like you live, you, starve, you lived. Yes. And this is, well, I don't, we got to go uh, on, on, on the comparisons yes. of hardship in our countries in another WhatsApp moment. But yes. uh, well, so what's going up right now? Well, we're living through that crisis again. And since yes. the world is having 10% inflation, Argentina is having again 60, 70%. 60%. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That was fascinating, uh, <laughs> as always. So um, the topic today, though, and that's not really a good seg, um, is talking about discipline and maybe more formally or academically behavior management. Uh, we're going to talk about different types of discipline, including punishment, um, alternatives to punishment, and, and all sorts of ways that parents, um, teachers manage behavior. So, um, so with some examples of, of why we do this while our, our child is acting out or misbehaving in some way, this could include hitting, scratching, spitting, defying you, breaking the rules. Um, sometimes folks get uh, really upset about talking back. Do they get upset about talking back in, in Argentina and Uruguay, like when, when kids talk back to parents? Yes, yes. It's, okay, it's, gotcha. uh, I didn't know if that was a cultural thing or if it was more universal. So talking back, uh, if a child hurts another child or an adult. So the question is, how do you respond? What do you do um, in, in that moment? I mean, obviously, one option is punishment, um, and there are different forms of punishment. So I guess it, it, we'll, we'll start with that. Um, so I yeah. want to start with talking about different forms of punishment and then whether or not perhaps they work. And then what we're teaching our kids uh, through those forms of punishment, just because I think that's something we need to to keep in mind are these sort of future impacts, the impact of what we're modeling, because we're always teaching, um, even when we're punishing. I mean, when we're punishing or when we're disciplining or managing behavior, our, our point, our purpose at that moment is to stop the behavior, is to change the behavior, is to modify. But we also have to realize there is a, a sort of downstream effect, I guess you could say, that the child is learning something. Um, and what are they learning? What, is, what are the repercussions of the way in which we are managing behavior? So talking about punishment, let's talk about threats. One of the things in the U.S. that I hear the most and um, you know, we sometimes resort to because we're not perfect in our family is, is the countdown. You have this in Argentina? It's yes, yes, of three, course. Three, two, what you know like and and you know at the end there's this idea that something's gonna happen something bad's gonna happen and it's like as a parent you you don't always know what you're gonna do you know like <laughs> what are you gonna do at the end of it you know yes. but it's like the anticipation it's the uncertainty like what's I think gonna happen at four if she gets to four you know 
<laughs> yeah, the cultural difference that here we, we count from one to three. A la una, a las yeah. dos, ya las. I'm going to say three. And if I say three, you know, there's no coming back. <laughs> yeah. And if you've got, you know, uh, a, a, a clever kid or a kid who's thoughtful, you know, which a lot of kids are, they're going to be like, what's going to happen at four? What are you going to do? They're kind of curious. They're like, I kind of want to know what's going to happen at four. Yeah, you know, let's see. Worth waiting to. Yeah. Are you going to turn into a sea monster and like somehow, you know, put your tangle, your tentacles around them. And, and yeah, like, so, but, but it's almost, you know, the, the anticipation, the uncertainty uh, uh, that that's the most powerful of that, you know, it's, it's so uh, ominous one, two, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, I mean, does it work? Yes. We've, I've seen it work. It works in the moment. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, and what if we don't have a consequence uh, at the end of that? If there is a consequence, what is it? Is it screaming at the child? Is it grabbing them aggressively, you know, and taking them somewhere else or removing them from the park if they've just thrown mulch at another child? Uh, what do we do? Do we put them in timeout? You know, it leads to this other punishment. So I think a lot of parents hope that they can get away without it leading to the punishment. Um, but, uh, you know, the question is, you know, what are we teaching through that? Yeah. Well, I, I guess that the, the threat aspect shouldn't be counted as, as a punishment in itself. It's like a pre-punishment strategy. Yes. Like you as a parent do not want to actually punish. So you just want the behavior change, but you don't want to go through the process of, of uh, punishing and you want to keep to, to curb in a way the, the, the behavior by himself, which is not entirely true because he's just doing it under threat. Sure. So it, I think we should we should leave threats like in a in a special separate category. Yes. Yeah. But, but then let's let's jump out into the the actual threats that you were you were pointing out. So, well, you were saying time out. Yes. Okay. That's a very typical way of punishment. Good. You, you just sit there and you now some parents present it as okay. Now you are excluded from the situation. Mm -hmm. now, some people feel that's going to bring. Uh, uh, a negative consequence to the child so they say okay you're sitting here to think and to reflect like I'm not excluding you I'm creating a special place for you to think and one that I actually personally use is I'm going to give you this time so you can calm down right? yeah it's 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 I am excluding you yes I would like you to reflect but I'm not going to stress on the intellectual part I'm going to stress on the emotional part like you're going you're gonna to sit here. Also, I do this more as a teacher than as a parent, right? But you, you're going to take some time here until you're ready to talk things through. Yeah. And have a, a, an actual discussion where we can respect each other and you can respect it because you, you've somehow lost it, right? So just just take a, take a seat here. You want to, maybe sometimes I'm being kind. Yeah. Like a cup of tea to go with your timeout moment. Sure. Uh, but uh, but it can be done in very different. You can also grab your kid and just throw it into a, a closet <laughs> and say "time out" and lock the door. So there, it's a wide spectrum. But let's say "time out" is a strategy that is very common and has many levels. Yeah, it's it has different ways of of doing it, and and I think the way that you described it is a more peaceful uh, way of doing it, a more loving way, a compassionate way, and it's it's not um, fraught with emotion. You know, you don't come at it with like that anger, you know, um, where like I'm putting you in timeout, you know, like sit there, don't move until I tell you, you know, like it's more like 
oh, you know, here's a peaceful timeout place, you know, where sometimes I like to go and take a cup of tea and relax <laughs> with my thoughts for a moment and, you know, let my breath settle. You know, that's, that's well, different. You know, those are well, two different I things. I actually don't do it as nicely as that. <laughs> I also acknowledge, look, there has been something really wrong. We're going to have to talk about it. Yeah. But we cannot until I can see that you have gathered yourself. Yes. It's, it's a little bit in between. But remember, these things I do at a school and, and as a teacher and as a director, so headmaster. So I, this is not the same as when, you, when you're with your own child. Sure. <laughs> Unfortunately, we feel more uh, allowed by ourselves to be more violent. Like yeah. when yeah. you're in a school, you, 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 the, the setting just prevents those yes. parts those very basic parts of you from emerging. And also it's not mm -hmm. your kid. So you don't take it as personal as when your little one breaks something in the head of your older one. I mean, that becomes very visceral. And sometimes the more violent aspects of everything comes out at home rather than an institution, right? But yeah. anyways, it's, it's, maybe it's a good thing here that uh, it's then void of, devoid of, of anger. Yes. Yeah. So let, let me just uh, jump back to, you know, the, the threat part, you know, the one, two, three and what we're teaching, you know, the, the word threat, I think is, is the key word there that we're teaching kids to threaten other people when they do things that upset them or make them angry. Like you better not do that. Or if you do that again, then, you know, so that's what we're teaching. And, and uh, I think it's once we realize that it's like, oh, shoot, it may work in the moment. But I'd like to have my child to have a better strategy for problem solving and dealing with conflict than threatening other people or threatening other kids, right? Yes, that's true. I mean, I think we are, we are hitting here on an under, underlying subject, which is the, the background intention of our educating moment or which emotions are getting a hold of us when we do something. Yeah. All of these techniques, first, I, I think we should cover all the, all the techniques, but in all of them, we're going to find that done within a certain state of mind are maybe okay or, or possible to use Sure, and with a different mind frame or emotional uh, state. They are unacceptable. Yes. Including the one with the threat, what, what, what I've been, uh, what we do generally in the school, what we consider positively is a kid usually cannot stop his behavior right at the moment. Like it's that he's playing with something and say, put it yes. away because we've got to go. Yes. And that's sort of balance. Sometimes, sometimes it's okay. I'm going to give you three minutes to finish what you're doing. And then you put it away. Mm -hmm. That sort of gives a transition for the child that he can relate to. Yeah. And if it's out of respect for that, I mean, it's a middle ground. You need the behavior to stop, but you acknowledge yes. that I cannot stop it right away. So let's say the threatening part could be like just a warning part. Say, hey, I don't want to I don't want to punish you. This behavior needs to stop. You need to stop it in three, two. So the child yeah. may it can can comply. Sure. Now, yeah, there are some times where you need behavior to stop. You're right. So I I guess. The threat, this is very typical in movies, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the character says, are you threatening me? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds stupid, but I guess there is a quality. You, if done with compassion, this sort of warning slash threat, I think it could work. But compassion is a key word. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, there may be some moments where a child needs a bully or someone who's really upsetting them to stop their behavior, you know, and so they may need to stand up to them in in a firm, but not sort of angry out of control way, you know, so maybe that could have utility in some way. Um, Yeah. yeah. So uh, we talked as well about, you know, time out, you know, in those situations, giving a child some, some time and, and being in a different state of mind, you know, uh, one thing I guess that concerns me with timeout, the more I've thought about it though, is, is that, you know, you're taking a child who has self-regulation problems, uh, you know, to begin with that maybe got them into trouble. And then you're saying, go stay by yourself and figure it out. You know, like, I'm not going to help you, but you can do it yourself. You know, and, and I think at least at home, you know, with, with our own children, maybe we can go out to time, we can go to time out with them and hang out there with them and be this person like, hey, I'm going to come to a time out with you and we are going to, and I'm going to be calm here and I'm going to stay with you. And if you want to talk, you know, you can talk. If you want to express some emotions, you can express some emotions, but I'm going to, I'm going to be here with you. And so it shows a child you're there for them uh, and you're not leaving and you're helping them to learn to self-regulate because you're showing, you're modeling it in the moment. While, while they're very out of control, while they're struggling, you are going to your, to your happy place and just helping them let it pass, right? And, and, and learn that. So I think it, as far as parents are concerned, I like that um, better because it helps to establish the bond. It helps to teach them how to self-regulate um, and it helps them to show that they can still be dependent on you because they are, they're just little kids. Yeah. Uh, this, this, I think brings into light another underlying uh, complex process, uh, thought that we need to include here, which is that setting a boundary or uh, creating healthful uh, limits for your child is a process. And uh, although it's very uh, I don't know, it sells well. It's very, for, for marketing, it works great to say that seven habits of highly effective people and okay, I just need to gather 10 things. I mean, we're going over a series of strategies that we all know that maybe we haven't really considered them as strategies and so we haven't reflected upon them, but really they are just a, a, a piece or a moment in a whole process of establishing a boundary. Yeah. For the child to integrate into a family, into a playing field, into a school or whatever. So yeah, timeout can work, but, if, but, but what you're pointing out is it's part of a bigger process. What do you do before? How you do it while? What do you do after it? Right? Yeah. And yeah. of course, if it's just, you know, deal with it. No, that's not going to work. I mean, we can say that for sure, <laughs> even sure. though it's very hard to, to make affirmations in education, but I, I can tell you that's not going to work. I mean, yes, you get a you get a first uh, give a, a correct frame for the timeout, as I was mm-hmm. pointing out. Saying, okay, either it's punishment. Okay, this is this is what you get. Like you know, the break last thirty minutes. I saw you hitting someone. Then okay, you're losing ten. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm I'm teaching you that actions have consequences, and so this is not a time for you to think. You don't need to ask for forgiveness or anything. I'm just you know I'm doing conduct this here. Just letting you know these are the rules and it's as simple as that. That could be one frame. Another frame is, okay, this is just a step, time out, in which you gather yourself so now we can talk about it. And then when you go into the talking part 
uh, I mean, you can sit next to him that I do too. Like you sit quietly and say, I'm going to wait for you with you. So you, you can calm yourself down, but I don't talk to you because that part, you can do it without words. Sure. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about it. And I'm, now this timeout moment has become an intimate moment because we are just the two of us here outside of the classroom, outside of the house, whatever, inside the, the basement with all the chains where you have put your child. Hey, we're, we're together here now. But I mean, uh, it's a possible, if it's a possible place, we go out to the park and we sit. And so the, 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 it, ter it turns out being a, a good thing for the child because now, now I want to hear you. Now that you have calmed down, I want to hear you which is part mm -hmm. of what we're, we're talking later, right? So but I'm going to leave it here, but let's keep in mind all of these strategies need to be part of a larger and more complex process, ongoing process, hard to define process that each parent, each teacher needs to create, recreate every time he interacts with the child. So it's very complex. We're not going to give uh, proof, uh, foolproof <laughs> um, strategies, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there has to be some experimentation and different things work for different kids at different times. So, um, you know, one thing I want to mention about timeout before we move out is move on is that a lot of uh, parents say, well, my parent wasn't with me when I, when I was in timeout, you know, I just went to timeout. And, um, and then you think about it though, and you're like, well, what are the consequences of what, uh, what were the consequences of that for you? you? You know, like, did you feel like you could count on your parent? Did you feel like they could help you handle things later on in life? Because that's really important, right? Once our kids get to adolescence and they're going through some really tough stuff and, and uh, having to make tough decisions, dealing with peer pressure, we want to be able to be there for them and help them navigate through those, those really tumultuous waters where a lot of kids can get in trouble. Uh, and I think we set, like you were talking about, uh, establish that relationship at this age, you know, so this is, you know, I was thinking about that at there are times where, you know, my kid's behavior is really difficult and, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be so happy in a year or two when things have gotten easier. And then I'm like, well, wait, I should be approaching this with a sense of urgency because I'm establishing the foundation here and B, I'm never going to get these moments back. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I get to try this over again. I get, I, I get another shot at improving your relationship today. So going to um, another method of punishment which is removal of a positive stimulus. And some people think that's negative reinforcement, but that's not negative reinforcement. We'll talk about negative reinforcement later. But so for instance, if you hit your sister again, I'll throw away your marshmallows. That really, that really works well in, in our house, you know, like marshmallows, big reinforcer, big deal. And, and, you know, Henry will be like, okay, okay. Yeah. I can't lose the marshmallows. Um, you know, and obviously you have to follow through. Does it work? Yes. If I do it in anger, is that going to have consequences? Yes, because I'm modeling for my child that that's how you handle situations. Like, man, I could just see him in uh, kindergarten and, and being like, if you touch my pencil again, then I'm going to throw away your math book. You know, like, oh, shoot. Well, that that may not be the best thing to model. But, um, you know, I've talked with my wife about this and, and we we're like, well, you know, what is this teaching? It's kind of the capitalistic system like if you misbehave, then you don't get the money or you don't get that thing that you want. If you don't come to work, then you don't get paid. Um, so so it's it kind of reflective of the real world in some way, but it also teaches, um, I think, external you know, rewards and punishment versus 
why am I doing this? Uh, because I don't want to hurt someone or because I don't want to upset someone. And, and that's the right thing to do to, to keep the peace. Yeah. And, and also, I think the problem with, with, uh, with that, at least in the, the example you are, you're presenting, right? Um, it's that you are becoming someone who's doing something unfair. And two wrongs don't make a right. So in order to have, this is also part of the, of the large uh, picture that we're going to have to talk about, which is who are you as a limits enforcer to your child? You need to have some sort of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, credibility with your child. And that, so if he believes you're a fair person, then he will be more inclined to learn to be fair himself. Now, if you go ahead and do something vengeful to your neighbor because he parked your, his car in front of your driveway and you just scratch his, I mean, he sees you do that. There's nothing you can do to, to, to remove that impression that in the end, you know, you don't have to respect other people. Yeah. Right? Because you're angry. So if you out of anger, you do that. I remember my, my, my dad always had this very uh, traumatic experience of his own dad, my grandfather was a very poor Spanish immigrant, had been grown up in, in this uh, very poor shanty houses in, in Argentina of the 1900s called Conventillos, which is where tango was brought up, right? And this was a very, this is a story that, I mean, completely out of a different, of a movie. I mean, nothing to do with my experience of my life, but it's part of my family. So, I mean, maybe if we go back two or three generations, we find things that were done before and that really have nothing to do with that. So it's a good thing that we don't do the same as our grandparents or parents. But what I'm telling you is that my dad, once he was a, a very fan of reading, so he was reading magazines and he had forgotten to do some, some chores, right? Some house chores. So my grandfather just appeared and teared down in front of his face, all of his magazines, just, you know, mm. very violent. My, my grandfather yeah. would yeah. never hit my father, but he would just lose his temper and do something very destructive. Now, that image was recorded in my dad's image much more stronger than the fact that he had to do any chore. Yeah. So you may get a, a partial result, but what are the damage to your own credibility? And of course, to the, the, the trust your child will, ha will have in you. Because in, a in child... Will love you as for a, for some time. He will love you unconditionally, but as soon as he starts developing his own reason, he will start losing his trust. Yeah, he pleasant, unless you're someone very fair. So doing something like that now is for me is usually it brings more pain than than gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. The, the, there are those moments that uh, can really upset children. You know that we remember for forever and and can can form a lasting impression. Uh, and upset our relationship with the child greatly. So it's something to, to consider, maybe effective in the moment, but at what cost, you know? And, and I think there are a lot of parents like myself who have done things like this, um, who are probably feeling, feeling really guilty right now. But I think that we, we need to know that we can repair relationships with our kids. We can um, move towards more harmonious ways of, of dealing with, with behavior and so having that hope, I think, is an important part as, as we move through all these things that I think a lot of us who are just human, who, who are in this marathon of parenting, have, have gone through and have done. And I think that in, it, although it may, I mean, there is, there is also a, a, a positive aspect that could be rerouted here, rerouted, that is, 
what you're doing there, one thing that it's interesting is sometimes you realize your, your son cannot stop a behavior unless he can put in someone else's shoes. So, now, this is very extreme, right? But let's say you're, you decide, you say he, he, he's not getting it and he is breaking and breaking his sister's things. So one day you decide, you say, okay, do you see that you're breaking your sister things and you, don't, you can't stop? I'm going to do something very painful for me and for you. But it's, I'm sorry, it's the only way you can learn it. And you break, let's say, you break one small, not very important thing. And of course, you break your, your son's heart. Yes. <laughs> but, but you need to, if you do that, maybe you do much more good than just talking and let him continue with that behavior. Sure. So sometimes sure. I think we need to be open enough that that could be a situation where you say, well, he's not learning in any, any other way. I'm going to make him feel the pain. Now, and you did you, it in a, in a way that wasn't ang- you know filled with with emotion and anger, which I think exactly. is key as well. Exactly. So, because I think we need to bring into subject something that is part of the controversy with limits is that the new species we are not to cause any suffering to our children. Yeah, and suffering, unfortunately, is the only way some things are learned, and we know that from our own experience. So. I think that the toughest part of being a parent is to provide a certain amount of suffering to our own kids so that they can learn from it, but not in a way that will break them and make it resultful. So it's, it's a very uh, thin line to walk through, but yet I, I don't think we cannot deny it. So that's why I'm not throwing that technique all the way through the, through the window. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I want to talk about, um, that's great. I want to talk about a couple other uh, forms of punishment that I think we can lump together uh, just for the sake of time. But yelling, name calling, physicality, all forms of, of parents losing their temper uh, in a situation. And, you know, let's face it, it's, it's just easy to lose your temper with your child. And I think that's something that we all individually should reflect on. Why does a certain behavior make us lose our temper? There was, you know, another day, uh, you know, one of my kids threw something at another and I was upstairs and I heard about it and I was able to process, I was able to create some space, some distance and because, because my body wanted to run down there angry, you know, all guns blazing. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I stopped myself and I said, Whoa, why, why do you want to do what's that? What purpose is that going to serve? You know, what are they going to learn from that? Is that going to stop any behavior in the future? or just upset and traumatized, you know, because angry dad's running downstairs. And why do I feel that way in response? You know, um, what could be something else I could do? Uh, you know, do I have a plan, you know, that, that, that when these sorts of things happen in the future and I'm right there, I can, I can just do something else, insert some other behavior uh, instead of that, that anger and that emotion. So yeah. Yeah, yet, yet again, I, I think it's the same, sort of the same thing as before. Like, we cannot deny the fact that that losing his temper sends a very strong message that sometimes other forms of informing your child of what should and should not be done uh, do not do. So sometimes you understand that we all know that when we lose it because our child is messing with the electricity plug, yes, <laughs> right? It puts the fear of God in him or her 
but then he or she will never touch the electricity plug again, which will save her life. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. So, so yeah. But, but I mean, we've, we've done, I think we do it because deep inside we know that our most violent reaction is one thing that will most likely impact our child. But as we were saying before, if we do it because of our own immaturity to accept what it is, which is really honestly what we do in 90% of the time or 99% of the time, then it will probably undermine our own authority. Yeah. So what I, what I would propose instead of is, I mean, we don't do anything important under strong negative emotion in our adult life, right? We don't go buy a house under strong sure. emotion. We don't go, we don't talk to our bosses when we are very angry. And if we do, usually that doesn't have very good consequences. When we lash out our wives or partners, it's usually not for the best. So the child is the same. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes I need to act a little bit being mad. Yeah. But there's a huge difference of I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring myself to a state that my child sees or feels he has crossed a terrible boundary for me and he will understand it viscerally not only verbally and for that i need to present my body and my voice and my expression in a very theatrical intense way yeah, even, yeah i may even be a little hung, angry myself yeah okay but that's very different from losing it but we have to realize too that if we lose it all the time it loses its impact you know it, the teacher who's screaming constantly that just becomes the new baseline, right? And it's the norm. It's like, oh, okay, this person is just screaming. Wait, now they're quiet. That's different than, than the, the norm. So, so it has to be that, that ace card, you know, that, that's pulled out in those circumstances where your, your child's just run out into the street, you know, and if, they need to know that this is serious, right? If, I ch if our child is the, the strong type, it will probably have that effect, but it will also have the other effect if our child is the sensitive type, the, the, the sort of that gets really, um, I don't know, taken by your violence and then our violence. And then that child will always live in fear, which will also have a negative impact. Yeah, yeah. And he won't manifest himself. He won't make any more mistakes. So he will make much less mistakes because he will be in fear. If we do it, if we lose it all the time, our child will go into self, uh, I don't know how do you have self editing mode all the time. And that will not be good either. They won't take any risks. They'll be afraid to question authority. Um, talking about name calling. Uh, this is just something that I think that when parents, I think, get into a really bad place, you know, or maybe they're, you know, projecting maybe some of their own um, psychological trauma onto their children, you know, calling them brats, spoiled, ungrateful, lazy, mean. Um, th these are situations that are, are you know, borderline uh, abusive, you know, and, and I think once parents get to a stage like this, they need to realize I need some help, you know, and, and I think that's one of these where we need to kind of talk about parents seeking out help in these situations where they, they've recognized that their emotions on a regular basis are too much for them to parent in a way that is non-traumatic, you know, and or effective. And to look around and to say, is there anyone around here who can help me? A parent, a friend, um, you know, a, a babysitter. How can I get help? Because my cup runneth over and I need some time. 
you know, and I think this is, can happen on a regular basis where we just realize I've got a couple days where I've got no help. And I know by that third day of, you know, looking after my kids, I'm about to lose it. And so I need to set up a situation to intervene on that third day where I'm getting some help and I have some time to cool off before I can return to my kids uh, so that so that I can be the parent I want to be. Yeah, definitely. Name calling is really not a not even I, I cannot find a positive angle for name calling. No, it's like so so out of our immature state that we we become little kids ourselves who haven't learned to respect others. And uh, so we just add fuel to the fire. Yeah. And similarly, physicality, you know, even worse, what are we teaching? We're not only teaching our kids to call others names, but we're teaching them to use physical violence. And the research supports that, that kids who are, uh, you know, spanked or slapped, you know, end up becoming physically violent with other kids and their spouses and their own children down the road. Yeah. 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 The only, the only time I've, I've, uh, I've, I've seen physicality sort of, I mean, done in, in, a, in a way that could be, but it is very controversial. It, the, the, the rule of thumb is not to go there, but let's say it's the same example as, I mean, as with, uh, when you, with helping your child feel what the other one is feeling. Yeah. Like, uh, but, but you do that, it's more like a gesture than really, there's no, there can be any lashing out, but like, He's heating, and this is with very little. He's heating, and he 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 can't stop heating or doing something. And you'd say, "Do you like this?" And you sort of do what he's doing in a much lighter way. Do you like it? And the kid is shocked. Sometimes he needs to fear that, but but it's it's a very very unusual situation, really. And uh, it's most of the time it's done just out of immaturity and sure. frustration, and and that that's just horrible. You know, and I just want to empathize here for a moment with, you know, if you've not had a difficult child, um, difficult children do things like hitting their parents. They hit their parents, they slap their parents, they kick their parents, they spit on their parents. Like, and, and as a parent, you just have a gut instinct sometimes to defend yourself and to lash out. And I mean, very, I've seen very educated, uh, intelligent, um, you know, highly successful parents um, react physically, um, physically in, in violent ways to their children who have slapped or hit them, you know, by like slapping them right back. Uh, and, and, you know, that may if done, um, very gently, uh, and in not an emotional way shows sort of like a a consequence or what that feels like. But in, in most cases, it's just teaching them to retaliate. Right. Uh, and it's teaching them that they, they, you know, maybe can't be loved in their, their worst moments and, and maybe hurt the, hurt the bond. No. And I think this is, uh, something, another aspect we should explore further. That is what, what is the role of the body really in setting a boundary to a, to a child? Because most of what we're talking about is behavior that is done physically. And so I think at this time we have real, come to realize that, hitting a child is wrong but at the same time as adults even as a parent or as a teacher we need to control that body and that needs some sort of physical control now what scares me is that we are so afraid of discussing the matter that we prefer to drug children instead of putting a healthy physical limit 
right? Because we mm. don't allow teachers to touch children. Maybe a teacher should be allowed. I mean, I don't know what's the code in the US, but I mean, it was very common for children teachers in the past just grab a child and move him from one place to another one so now no no teacher wants to do that so say okay pump a ton of drugs in this child so i don't get to the point where i need to physically restrain him but is it really better <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think educating a child poses this very uncomfortable moment where you need to set things clear for the child that his body is not free to use in any way he, he wants. Mm -hmm. his, the, the, his force, his ability, they need to be constrained in some way or another. They are not absolutely free. As in the yeah. same way, yeah. they cannot say anything they like, but this is much more free. And so in the past, since we have curtailed this possibility in children in such violent ways, now we couldn't even talk about it. Yeah. It's necessary because when a child is hitting his mother, He's doing a lot of damage to the mother, but mostly to himself. Yeah, so I mean, a mother should not allow a child to hit her. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to stop the child from hitting, you know, yeah. but maybe not in a way where you're squeezing the life out of their arms, just in a way that's, you know, assertive, but still calm. You're, you're doing the job of keeping them from hitting you, but you're not grabbing them and hurting them in response, you know, because that there's, there's, you know, a slap back, um, which is clearly the wrong thing to do, but there's also grabbing a child with force. That's almost like a slap, you know, to stop yes. them from hitting you, which is yes. probably just as bad if it's just as painful. So we have to realize again, we'll have, have we taken a step back? Have we, are we doing this from a, a calm place? And, and man, that just makes, I think, managing behavior more about managing our own emotions in the moment than anything else, right? If there's one key skill to impart from this podcast, it is if you can learn to manage your emotions in those moments, which by the way, will make, I think you a much more effective person in life in general, because yeah. you can manage, if you can manage your emotions in any moment with anybody who's upsetting you, uh, I mean, and our kids test us the most, then that's, that's a moment of self-development. Uh, that means that you are becoming a more effective person. So, so yeah, um, just getting back to some other forms of punishment. And, and actually, Axel, you know, as, as you were talking about medication, it made me think we should definitely have a podcast episode about medication, about some of the common medications, behavior um, control medications that are out there and, and our thoughts on, on them, because I, I think that, uh, there's, there's a lot to discuss. So anyway, getting back to different forms of punishment, uh, I think that we can put scolding and demanding in the same category, um, scolding things like, why would you do that? Never do that again. You knew exactly what you were doing. What's wrong with you. And, you know, demanding is, is like, get over here right now. Stop. No, put that down. Leave your sister alone. Stop fighting. So I think a lot of us have, have done those. And, and I think this kind of relates to, uh, yeah, maybe there are moments where we need to set that boundary, but, um, what are your thoughts on this Axel? I mean, can this be effective? Can this come from a place of con controlled emotion or is this mostly another, uh, punishment technique that occurs largely as a result of, of our loss of emotion? And maybe that's the message we're transmitting the most. I think in the way you are putting it, it's definitely once things have really gone wrong, <laughs> all the things we do 
we have lost it. And somehow they work because, I mean, the child also wants to comply and wants to be a part of the family. And uh, even when we do things wrong, I mean, sometimes we end up educating them in a way they can integrate to society. But, but really, I mean, we should, many of these things, uh, we should, when we are thinking them from another perspective, they, they are an entirely different thing altogether. For example, this subject of scolding and demanding, they, they bring us to the question of what's the value of your word yeah. with a child, right? How do you make your word valuable? And this is much bigger than the moment you're issuing punishment. This is what we're going to talk when we finish this. And probably it's going to be part of the next episode. When we finish our, our strategies, we need to talk about what's really behind, what are the skills necessary to really be an effective educator in, in regards of setting up limits, yeah. right? Yeah. And punishment is just the end of the string, but really we should go to the, to the origin of the problem and is how do we position ourselves as boundary setters? Now, if you are going to be enforcing limits or teaching limits to your children, then the way you speak, how you speak, is going to be very important. It's going to be very important all the time. Now, when we do these things, hey, and we repeat things over and over, the only thing we do is just devaluate our word. Our word becomes like the Argentinian peso, you know, it's worth Every day it's worth less and less and less. And now we find that if we don't say things 10 times, our child doesn't listen. Well, I, I love how you brought things full circle. That was so yes. nice. I, I give you a virtual fist bump, two fist bumps for that. That was impressive. I um, like Seinfeld too much, you know? Yes. <laughs> so let's um, move on to the final um, punishment technique, grounding. Uh, that's big here. Do they ground in, in Argentina, Uruguay? No, no, you know, I always see this, this, uh, this thing in, in American movies, you're grounded. Oh, it's not fair. You're grounded for a week. Now, I don't think that's a very common practice here. No, I uh, haven't. I mean, of course it happens, but, it, but it's not as common as it is in the U.S. You're grounded. I'm going to apologize to my parents in advance by telling this story because they were great parents. They were just doing their best. But we were <laughs> on a trip to Canada driving in our I don't know, probably at the time, like 1984 Dodge Caravan. We were going to uh, Toronto and, and Montreal and Quebec. And um, this is a cool trip, but a lot of time in the car. And there were five children. I'm the youngest of five, you know, and, and so we we're all packed in there. And my sister and I were, you know, singing songs the entire time. And my brother, Kevin, in typical fashion, was like needling my parents and, you know, like really upsetting them in some way, shape or form. I didn't even know what it was about. But I think they started grounding him like with a week of grounding. And by the, by the middle of the trip, he had been grounded for the next month. You know, and we were all just like, oh, my gosh, Kevin just brought grounded for a month. And, and, and I don't know, you know, like because this happened maybe somewhat frequently. I don't know if it worked for him or what. But, but yeah, what are your thoughts on grounding, Axel? Well, part of the problem, I think, with punishment is that, that we don't understand is that punishment should be a form of education. And it should help the child uh, uh, be restored to the family, to the classroom, to society, and not the other way around. Of course, our jails usually do the same thing, right, that we are criticizing here. They don't help the inmates restore to society. Actually, they just 
you know, it's meaningless. Yeah. But I, I like what we call punishment when it includes a certain form of atonement. So it's not really presented even as punishment. I said, okay, so you tore up your sister's things. Now you're going to have to do something nice for your sister. And this is your uh, punishment, if you want to call it like that. But it's like the way you pay for your ignorance is by doing something that actually helps you remember what positive things you can do. Now, grounding really doesn't make much, much sense unless, I would say, in those cases where, I don't know, you allow your child to go to the mall and, and once you, you realize that he, along with his friends, and once you realize that he's been misbehaving, maybe, I don't know, throwing things to people from the top floor, <laughs> you know, or something like that, then you say, okay, you have lost the privilege of being by yourself at the mall because I cannot trust you. I trusted you once and now you've lost it. And I'll have to decide when I feel ready again to trust you that you will behave, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's not that you're grounded. To go to the mall, you got to come with me. Obviously, I haven't been able to teach you this. And then we're going to practice, <laughs> you see? And we're going to be there. And let me see how you go through this by yourself. So the child feels he has lost some independence because he used his freedom in the wrong way. So there, there's a connection between being grounded, like the, I cannot let you alone, and 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 uh, the the origin of that, the cause of that. But when the child was just you know uh, picking your parents in the car or yeah. just having bad grades in math, and you ground him, it's like, what's the connection? Yes, but and, and how I like help me evolve. Yeah, yeah, I, and I like how you mentioned how you likened it to sort of the prison system, we remove someone from society and this is removing someone from the family and keeping, taking away their liberties and their freedoms. And, and we know, as you mentioned, the, the rates of recidivism uh, for prison and jail are, are quite high. People return it, it, unless there's some sort of, of um, you know, rehabilitation that occurs in, in prison, which uh, it doesn't often do. So, so yeah, I mean, that's why we don't want to just suspend kids or expel kids from school. We call it the school to prison pipeline. You know, I mean, grounding could be the, the family to prison pipeline in a, in a sense. It, you, you know, I, it, it seems possible that, that there might be a connection between that. I don't, I don't want to push. I haven't looked into it. But, but yeah, it's a similar concept of just removing someone and taking them, taking them uh, their liberties away from them. So um, this is great. I want to end here, but just, you know, wrapping up our punishment conversation because we've gone, I think, probably beyond an hour. And I think the next uh, podcast episode, we will talk about alternatives to punishment. And, and I want to just reemphasize that, um, you, uh, you know, actually, I think you did a nice job of saying that, hey, there are some forms of punishment that if in the right frame of mind can be helpful, can be useful tools in some ways. They're not always just bad. We don't always need to feel guilty about using these strategies um, or having used these strategies. Uh, the key takeaways I think that we want to focus on here um, are that, you, you know, the state of emotion that you are in, in during which you uh, deliver uh, your, your, your discipline um, or your punishment matters. You know, if you are in a controlled state of emotion during that time, it doesn't necessarily matter exactly what you're doing, uh, but it will be typically more effective, less traumatic, 
uh, and a better learning experience or a potential learning experience. And that's the other thing that I think uh, our listeners should take away is that discipline, punishment should be a learning experience. Even if it's not the ideal punishment, can you approach it with a lack of emotional intensity and can you turn it into an effective teaching experience? And if you can do that, um, then even though it's punishment, perhaps uh, it can be useful. Yes. And, and now what I would like to add is that uh, what we're going to talk about next, next time, it involves something that seems very basic, but it's part of what we are trying to, to, to point in with this podcast is that uh, teaching uh, your child um, and bringing up your child involves a certain process before you go into action. Now, we, we never take the time to reflect with our spouse, with our husband, or at least by ourselves. What do we mean by putting a limit? By when are we going to issue some punishments? When are we not? There's no reflective process done beforehand and then renewed every year, every six months, as every company does, every business does, every artist does. Like There, there needs to be a, prob, a, a, a step in this process where we stop We talk about it. We think, what do we want? How are we going to go about this? What are our challenges? And then enforce. Now, what we do is just repeat the strategies that we've seen that may or may not work, but we never take the time to reflect upon what does it mean to be a father or a mother and to put boundaries to our children. Yeah. Having these conversations with our, our partner, uh, extremely important and doing this intelligently, you know, because you talked about businesses and how they reflect on their strategies. I mean, this is our most important job in life. You know, at the end of the day, at, at the end of our lives, I think we're going to be much more concerned with the effort and, and the, the success of, of our parenting than um, whatever business we were worked at or whether, whatever career we had. So, so we should give uh, our parenting efforts the, the same thought and reflection um, and intention that we do our, our careers. Definitely. Well, let's continue next time. Excellent. Thank you, Axel. I will see you next time. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.